Welcome to the Fabricator's Coach podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. This particular podcast was created from a live recording of a previous webinar. In order to protect the confidentiality of the attendees, we've gone in and redubbed some of the questions and cut out some of the conversations. Well, first off, I want to just thank all of you for being here today, taking part of your Friday to spend with us. Um, our goal is to give you some information that's going to be useful for you. This is not a sales pitch, and it's not a dry, read a bunch of PowerPoint slides to us. This is really more of a discussion. There's probably only 30 to 40 minutes, probably closer to 30 minutes of actual prepared content for this one-hour session. Um, and it's because I'm a big believer in peer-to-peer -peer learning. I like to have folks share what they know, ask questions. Uh, you know, while we've got a lot of the answers to the questions, I think there are folks on this call who are not presenting who will have some really good answers too. So I think that's really important to, to get out there. So I appreciate you all being out here and, and being with us today. What we're going to do is just do a review of our, our most recent uh, article in Slippery Rock Gazette. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Ed Young. Um, I've got over 40 years of experience in manufacturing and business and coaching and consulting. Worked in hundreds, literally hundreds of, in, of companies in a lot of different industries, including this one. I owned my own brick and mortar business for a while, so I know what that kind of lonely, you know, being an owner on an island by yourself scenario is, is like. That's that's a big challenge for a lot of you folks that are owners. Um, my first project in this industry was over 20 years ago, and I ran a counter shop, top shop for a few years as well. So I know a lot of the challenges a lot of you are dealing with. And uh, for those of you who are regulars on, on the webinar, you'll recognize that we have a guest co-host uh, this month. Uh, we've got uh, Stevenson Brooks with us. Stevenson, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so I, uh, I am a sales trainer, but I was one of those people that started off, uh, being told I was good at sales. And when I finally started to, uh, try that out, I, I, uh, I bought a franchise for a garage cabinet company out in Las Vegas where I lived and, um, failed miserably in sales, uh, 20% close rate. I my engineering background did not like that before. So an 80% think it over rate. And I was very frustrated. So I went to sales training classes and uh, pretty quickly tripled my close rate. And a couple of years after that of going to classes every week, I decided I wanted to master sales and not uh, garage cabinets anymore. And so I bought the franchise uh, out there in Vegas. And that was, I don't know, 15 years ago. I'm uh, Last five years, I've been doing it more independently and picking uh, markets to go after. And uh, Ed and I started uh, getting back together again. I don't have to do the whole story of Ed and I, but we were doing some <laughs> theory of constraints software stuff back in the day, many, many, many years ago. And uh, I reached out to him. I was curious about how uh, to help some of the companies that I was helping in sales. They were struggling with operations to keep up. And when I talked to Ed, he said the opposite was happening often with him, that his clients were doing great in operations 
and sales wasn't keeping up and nobody was professionally trained. And I said, guess what, Ed? I learned how to sell along the way. Let's work on something here together. And so now he's been teaching me the industry and I've been teaching sales to him and his clients. Super. Yeah, we actually spent, uh, Steve was, was gracious enough to commit some time earlier this year. We spent about three months with a handful of clients um, doing sort of a information trading, uh, kind of a co-learning scenario where he was training them in sales and they were helping me get him oriented to this industry because um, I think one of the biggest gaps in this industry is uh, lack of good organized professional sales training. So that's one of the reasons we wrote the article that we did and, and put that out there because I think it's something that's really important in this industry we need to, to really take advantage of. So what we're going to do today is, uh, and, and the reason I write articles in, in these different publications is my goal is to help shop owners have a business that not only makes you money, but also gives you time to enjoy it. And of course, the key to doing that is to learn how to work on your business and not just work in your business, uh, because the more you can work in your business, the closer you get to that goal of, of being able to enjoy what you're doing and enjoy the money that you're making keeps you from being the most expensive employee. And quite frankly, I think you deserve to have that success and enjoy it. So that's why I put these out there. It's uh, the idea is to hopefully give you some things that'll help you out. The article uh, we're going to talk about is the one that came out uh, first, uh, first of this month in Slippy Rock Gazette. It's called How to Close Every Sales Prospect. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, you can go to the blog section of fabricatorscoach.com and and, and read a copy of it there, or you can go to directly to slipperyrockgazette.net and get a copy there as well. So let me ask a question real quick. This is a question I like to ask in the webinars, especially lately because of the economy. If you would in the in the chat, if you just write the word slow, if you're starting to already see a slowdown in sales and or quote volume. Any of you that are starting to see some kind of a slowdown, would you just put slow in the chat box so we can kind of get a feel for who's in that scenario? Because I'm hearing both, I'm hearing from a lot of fabricators that they are already slow. I've talked to some who already started laying off, but I'm also still hearing from some that are still wide open. So I'm just kind of curious. All right. Those of you that are um, still wide open, you're not seeing hardly any slowdown at all. Uh, would you just put, I see Andrew's already beat us to the punch. He put full throttle in there. Yeah, I've been, been working with Andrew and TJ for a while, and those guys are doing a great job. They're not going to cover off the ball. Anybody, any, the rest of you, if you're not slow and things are still strong for you, if you just would put strong in the in the, in the chat box. I'd just like to see what that looks like. And, and, and you know, some folks just don't want to respond to all. That's okay. Those of you who are slow out of curiosity, are you seeing a slowdown in just one market segment like retail or production builder or big box or something like that? Or is it across the board? Stephanie's still full throttle, fair and carry. You're still strong. Good. Amanda says retail is, um, is starting to slow down a bit. The rest of you that are slow, is it pretty much across the board? And if the answer is yes, just pop yes in there. Just trying to get kind of a feel for what's going on. I'm, I'm going to be talking at, uh, I talk, did a presentation at TICE about how the uh, top fabricators are preparing for uncertain economic times. And I talked about the concept of a sales engine a lot. I'm going to do this, a similar presentation next week at Coverings, same title, but I'm going to dive a little bit more into the metrics aspect of things. And, you know, the real challenge is that we don't really know what's coming economically, so we want to get ready for that. So commercial still strong. Retail looks like it's probably slow for Amanda. 
Andrew says new home construction is the slowest, but everything else is slowing down too. Yeah, it's just I'm sitting in different parts of the country, different market segments. Um, it, there's really no real rhyme or reason to all of this right now. So let me ask you this next question. How many of you think that salespeople are born, that you just kind of have to have that natural gift of gab? How many of you, if you think that salespeople are born and not trained, if you think that salespeople are born and not made, say yes in chat. And if you think there, there's a way to train salespeople well, put no. See, Andrew's put no. So I think Andrew is saying he doesn't think salespeople are born. Getting some more no's. Interesting. That's good to hear. Okay. Well, let's get in and talk about that a little bit. Because um, I think you know, if you've read the article or you you know you see the copy that's up there on the on the screen, you can see the ha the the tagline. Everything is taught. That's one of Steve's favorite sayings. So let's get into some of the content of the article here and talk about how uh, how we might relate to some of this and use this in real life. All right. So one of the, one of the questions that we raised in the article was: Is it possible to get prospects to buy from us before we even generate the quote? That really seems to be almost an oxymoron. Steve, can you can you help us understand how it might be possible to do this? Sure. Uh, one of the uh, quick analogies that comes to mind is that of a real estate agent. Uh, we tend to pick our real estate agent and then we go look for a house to buy. In many industries, we don't think that way. Uh, when I started selling my garage improvement, my garage cabinets, I started shifting my mentality to be, oh, I have to see if they're going to pick me as their garage company to work with, and then we'll figure out what the design is going to look like. Then we're going to figure out what the install is going to be. Then we're going to figure out all the details will come after I figure out with them if I'm their selection. So a lot of salespeople tend to focus on putting together the quote. You walk in the door and they say, great, what's your color palette? What kind of uh, materials are you thinking to use in? How big is your space? They just immediately go into design mode and they forget that there's actually a selection process. There's a beauty contest going on right now to determine who's the cabinet company or, I mean, in your world, right? The fabricator company that I want to work with that's going to be the one that's going to help me get this job done. And so I think if you shift your mentality to be my job is to get them to select me first and then let's continue working on and building the quote just to figure out what we're doing together then you'll find that you're actually closing them well before you ever get to the actual quote. So how would we do that? What's what's really the key to, to making that happen, Steve? Well, people buy from people they like, and they tend to like people who are like them. So in my world, I'm six foot four. Um, you can't maybe tell on the camera, but I'm a large person. I talk very directly. I'm loud, a little bit obnoxious. And when I was working at mostly B2C at that time, um, everyone that I was working with was uh, more of a stay-at-home mom, uh, very mellow, uh, usually female, just the exact opposite of me. And so what I had to learn how to do was how to adjust my style to be more like their style. Now, I can't be a, a woman. I can't be shorter, but I would literally stand further away from, from the door when I, when I rang the doorbell. I would wear some light colored clothing so that I wasn't as threatening. I wouldn't have anything in my hands. I would become what I like to call my, my Clark Kent instead of Superman. I would become mild-mannered and listen more and relax and ask a lot more questions. And what started happening was instead of me being confined to their garage to do measuring, 
which is where my, that's where my training was. That's what everyone in my company would do. I started being invited in the home to talk about what's going on in their world. So the first five minutes, the first, that, that first few seconds you're with somebody is crucial to build rapport with somebody. And I think we all know that we all get, I mean, you, you have that impression of me right now. The first five minutes with Stevenson Brooks today, you're like, "Mm, I don't know if I like this guy or not, or, Hey, he's a cool guy. I like him. That's what we have to be able to master so that we can match more people. Most salespeople tend to act like themselves and hope that it sticks. And that makes a lot of prospects have to adjust to us, the salesperson, rather than us adjusting to them. And I will say it was much easier for me going into people's houses, Ed, because I got to see their space. I was going into their safe area, their world, so I could adjust along the way. When people come into a showroom, it can be difficult because it's your showroom. It's your home turf. You're being you all day long. And here comes another customer next. How can I help you? What kind of project are we working on? And we just get into being me mode in my showroom and forget like, oh, wait, Let me read this situation here. Let me find out what this personality type is. Let me see what their vibe is. And by the way, if you're selling to couples, they tend to be opposite. So you'll find one of them is the talker. One of them is the listener. One of them is more big picture. One of them wants to get into the details. And so when you're working with two or more people, when you speak to each one, speak in their language. We'll put all the details together for you. And I'm sure the big picture is going to make you happy. Um, So I'm jumping off, Ed, you know, I could go for hours on it. So keep me in line, but ultimately mirroring and matching, making sure that they love me. And then I I throw in one more last little thing, which is, and I'm hearing it a lot in this industry. Let's figure out what the budget is early. I keep hearing about this idea that, yeah, I give them the quote and then I kind of watch to see their sticker shock and the, oh my gosh, I didn't know it's going to be this expensive. As we go through the process, it would be so much smarter for me, I believe, as a salesperson to figure out what their budget is, where they're at. If it's not big enough, I can help them expand it. But doing it at the end with quote shock is leaving you up to vulnerability where they're going to go find somebody cheaper down the road. So let's figure out what that budget is. Ask the questions, learn how to do that. But that's what you need to practice is how to get somebody to say, well, we're thinking this, that, or this, and then being able to now adjust just like a realtor would. What house are we looking for based on your budget? Not wouldn't we all love to live in this mansion? Of course we would. So how do I take that budget then put together the quote that really becomes a no-brainer quote? So what are some ways you can you can sort of start to get into the budget conversation? Sometimes the word budget and sometimes talking about money turns people off. What are some ways you can kind of kind of ease into that and still keep some of that mirroring and matching technique that you're talking about? Perfect. So early on, instead of asking about this project that they're working on and how quickly can we start looking at some slabs together, how about what other things have you been doing? What other projects have you been working on? Where where are you at in your world? What are you doing in your house? Tell me about some of the projects you've done recently. That's going to give you a great indicator if they're a Mercedes buyer or if they're a Hyundai shopper. It's going to give you a feeling for where they're at. And then as you get closer to start putting together some things, you could actually say, hey, before I take you the tour on everything in our showroom here, how about we we get like, maybe you could help me and see how I'm struggling already. That's the rapport part. Maybe you could help me figure out how to reduce it down to a handful of things that we look at. You don't have like a budget in mind, do you? Like some people that work with us, like based on the space you've been telling me about, they could be in the 
you know, $5,000 area. Some of them are in the $10,000 area and some of them are blank check. I want this to be the Taj Mahal. Where, where are you guys at? And this is where you shut up and listen, Ed. I'm not the best at it. I had to learn how to do this, but now I listen and wait for that answer. Yeah, I like to use the saying, God gave us uh, two ears and one mouth. And it's a, it's a real strong recommendation. And it ain't all about stereo. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you're talking about mirroring and matching and kind of, uh, kind of you know, matching the personality or personalities of the people that you, person or people you're talking to. What are some of the things that salespeople ought to look for when they do that? Um, are there any techniques around that, any tools that they can use? How, how can they learn to do that better? Well, I'm a big fan of the DISC model, D-I-S-C. And basically, I, I've adapted it or, or really simplified it for my sales students because I need something that's quick. So all I do is get a read. First of all, are they more active of a personality? Are they pushing the conversation? Hi, we're here to get this done. And we'd like to talk to some people and look at some things. And are they moving things along? Or are they more passive in their personality? In which case they might come in. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, we're... Uh, um, thinking about possibly, and they have more of that passive, slow, slower style, softer style. So immediately I can adjust right away, right? Are we moving quickly? Are we moving slowly? And I just match them. Typically, by the way, salespeople, when I'm with somebody who's quiet, what do we want to do? Come on, cheer up. What's going on? We got to get some coffee in you. We want to break the rapport immediately because they're being quiet. So instead, shh, be quiet. And then some people are task oriented. They want to tell you what the specifics of their task are, where they want to be, what we're doing, the process. They want to get into the numbers and other people are relationship focused. Yeah. So my friend Margaret got her, her kitchen done. And so we, we thought we'd stop by and I, and I, I couldn't drag my husband out today. So I'm just coming today as a little reconnaissance, but I wanted to meet you guys and see, do you guys help people? With, I mean, is there an air? I already know this person wants to get to know me feel comfortable relationship first, and then we'll get down to business and other people show up and they want to be task oriented and get the job done immediately. And there's not a lot of time here to get to know our pet names together. So very quickly, Ed, all I do is use that disc model to say, are they active? Are they passive? Are they task oriented? Are they relationship oriented? And then I practice knowing that if they're in one of those four quadrants, how to adjust my style. And when you're working in a showroom, you, you tend to work more with, you know, uh, the wife stereotypically is, you know, driving the, the design of the decor uh, a lot of times, but you'll have couples come in and, and a lot of what you said applies really well to B2C sales. How do you adapt that when you get into the B2B arena? Because I know uh, Andrew and um, I think we got one or two more in here that are, that are and, and Farron at least, and I think one more or doing B2B type sales, how do you, what's, what's different about that environment? Well, that's great. Um, I, I think that's another sort of where we think let's hire somebody who's got great design characteristics, somebody that can really design someone's beautiful kitchen. And then when you get to the B2B, now you're dealing much more, obviously, as the word says, as in business. And it's now becoming like, am I working with this owner who's more of that dominant style that just I want to know the numbers. I want to get it done. I want this to be hassle-free. I want to have good communication. I want you guys to show up and not make a mess. You know, that's what they want to do. So we need to mirror and match that behavior, not say, let's design this kitchen and see what you think. And there also might be working with an estimator or somebody who's the procurement side. These are people that are much more task-oriented. 
So I think the B2C where you have somebody that comes in and they've got sparkles in their eyes because they might want to design their home's kitchen. When we're in B2B mode, it's a lot more task oriented. You have to get back into task mode of what's in it for that business that I'm working with, what's in it for this contractor or this builder, and how do I make their dreams come true, which typically has nothing to do with stone. It has to do with business, communication, profitability, uh, back orders, change orders, happy, delighted end customers, not them themselves. Gotcha. Now, Andrew Fry, I know, you know, because you and I have worked together in the past, I know you're primarily B2B, and I know you're also a, a very experienced salesperson. How is how is what Steve's talking about tracking with your experience? And if you got anything to add or maybe any questions you might have? Yeah, no, I uh I I agree with everything he's saying. Um, you know, a lot of the uh original things that he put into practice, uh are all the things that I was taught early on in door-to-door sales. Um, you, you either do it or you don't, and then you either eat or you don't. That's kind of the premise of where my sales experience came from. And that's, it sounds like that's exactly where his came from as well. And uh, honestly, I think uh, it's the best way to learn sales, but uh, it's also the most painful. So um, what he's saying is uh, take his advice, to everybody on this call, take his advice, use the small things that you don't think might, might not even matter. Like, uh, what he was saying about step back from the customers, give them space, uh, judge their personalities hundred percent of the time. It doesn't matter if you're B2B like us, uh, or if you're direct to consumer, um, as a, I think all fabricators kind of service both ways. It's just, where's your majority lie, but either way you go, you still end up talking with the end user, the homeowners, many, many times to help them curate their decisions and, and their kitchens, regardless of whether you designed it or not. So all these tips apply in B2B and in the perspective of working with somebody else's client or your client that walked in your doors. So I totally condone everything that I've, I've heard today as of yet. And uh, I practice a lot of this stuff personally as well. Okay. Awesome. Any any questions that you've got as you have a, a fellow sales pro- professional here to talk to? The, anything that you'd uh, want to ask Steve about? I guess not. Okay. At this, <laughs> yeah. At this point, <laughs> I, I don't. I can't think of anything off the top of my head personally. Okay. All right. Well, well, if he, uh, I'll, I'll ask you if, if Steve missteps or says something you don't agree with, jump in. Sounds like uh, if we were to lose our feed, you could probably teach the rest of this. <laughs> I'd love to help if I could. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good deal. Thanks, Andrew. Picking on Andrew a little bit because he and I are have work are working together. Um, it, Modern is a is a current client of mine, so appreciate uh, him and Farron both being on the call. Let me kind of stop a minute and, and open this up. I, you know, I fed Steve some questions and and I, and I knew Andrew, so I picked on him a little bit. But let me ask the rest of you: Do any of you have any questions that? You'd like to ask Steve anything that you're struggling with, either B2B or B2C on the sales side. Um, what what comes to mind for any of you? Steve, I was me- wondering if I was just wondering if you had any recommendations for um sales associates to overcome objections on luxury items. And I came in a little bit late to the conversation. Um, but that is something that we're focused on, is really kind of diving into that topic with um employees that work on showroom floors and how to differentiate what a luxury item is and sell the value of it. 
and specifically just overcoming objections. Can you give me an example, Emily? Um, like what, give me a scenario just so I understand where we're at. Yeah, sure. So um, a consumer would walk into a showroom, let's say in a fab shop, and they would have, typically most fabricators have quite a few options available uh, for products. So they would have lots of natural stone, a lot of quartz. Um, and then if you had a few brands of quartz that were um, outstanding or were at a price point that was going to differentiate themselves through a specific design that's unique or the service after the sale is one of a kind that's above and beyond. Um, how would you work with a sales team to be able to um, overcome price objections on um, like a luxury item? Yeah. So give me. So it would be like if they sold a Maserati in a Toyota dealership, how would you overcome an objection on, <laughs> you know, the Corolla over a Maserati? Obviously, price is a factor, but it's really um, the, the price differentiation and the difference and disparity of the prices when it comes to a lot of these stones are I mean, they're pretty similar. So. Yeah. So I guess I'm still, I'm still lost. So hold on, help me a little bit more. I'm new to the industry. So a luxury item, give me a specific, don't use moderati because I, we're not selling cars. So give me a, 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 something that comes to mind where a prospect comes in, we're designing their kitchen and we're putting together some kind of a package and something in there is a luxury item that we're trying to upsell. Is that right? We're trying to entice them to buy something an, that's out of their budget. It could be an, it could be an upsell. I don't necessarily think it's out of their budget. I think a consumer doesn't necessarily know what they know their budget, but they don't necessarily know the difference between a lot of the brands out there. So if somebody wanted to, if somebody was interested in three different kinds of products, how would you be able to help them overcome objections on if one was say a little bit more expensive, not obscenely more, but just a little bit more, how would you work with a sales associate on doing that? Yeah, I think you're in the right spot, Emily. Again, we're still not getting too specific, which is where I'd want to go, but it's okay. But the idea is that every product that we sell has got some sort of a feature set. Every product that's made out there in the world, you know, necessity breeds invention. So everything out there has been designed for some reason to solve some problems. So if I've got three products in front of me and each of them has a slightly different skill set behind it, what problems are they solving? And so if I have a counter that actually costs more or a material that costs more, let's say, I would assume that that price either is because it's from exotic hills out in the middle of nowhere, it's imported from somewhere, it's a, a special surface that's impervious to any damage from children or my cooking habits. You know, whatever it is, I'm going to try and figure out what those things are, make sure as a salesperson, I know those benefits. But then I ask questions to the prospect to see if any of them stick or how are you going to use this space? What's this really for? What's behind this? Where are we going with this project? And if I can make those things connect, then I think we can bridge between the price difference or the any other difference, time to install or time for us to get the product delivered in. We can overcome those things if we know that there's a what's in it for the prospect, not necessarily what's in it for the store. And I mm -hmm. think that's where salespeople sometimes get hung up and prospects get hung up because they start thinking, oh, I see what's going on. Emily's just trying to sell me this because it's more money for them yeah. instead of it's actually more value to the customer. Yep.
And so we tend to push them a little bit down the direction of like, you need a Maserati using our old example. And it's like, can I just get to work in a Corolla? Well, you can, but I mean, look at the Maserati. So I mm -hmm. feel like when we start trying to push the features and benefits, it gets us in trouble. When we ask questions to find out if there's a problem that we could solve, it gets into their world and they start seeing the connection themselves. Yeah. Really identifying the, the differentiator in the product and how it's going to help the consumer in the long run. And then asking to find out if that's actually yeah. something they value. Yeah, right, right. My, my, I, I, the story that I share quite a bit is that I head off to Home Depot on the weekend and my wife goes to Lowe's. I don't know why. There's, you know, I don't know if you have those two stores where you're at, but I mean, she'll drive by a Walmart to get to Target. We all have preferences, but we're different. Mm -hmm. So the person that you're in front of may have a, yeah, I'm going to go to Walmart. You know, and the other person's going to say, I'm going to go to Target. I mean, of course, it's the same thing at both stores, I believe, but they're laid out differently. There's a different vibe. So the same thing is true with a countertop. My wife will see something completely different in a product that we're looking at. And I go, OK. <laughs> and mm -hmm. other things I'm like, no, 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 this one's stronger because it can handle this. And she's like, whatever you need, Steve. So I think it is really about getting to know our prospect more so than uh, pushing any kind of products on them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hopefully sure. good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Good, good. Good. Good question. Yeah. That's one of the challenges, you know, you, you got to have something to put your pots and pans and dishes on. It can be plywood. Um, it can be <laughs> like we used to have before we remodeled our countertops were made out of oak flooring that had laminate on top of it. You know, we didn't find that out until we demoed them, but uh, we knew it looked like garbage. Um, but you know, what are you, what are you, what are you in the mood for? What are you, what are your values and, and how much have you got to spend for it? So um, I know, let me, before I get into anything else, let me ask, has anybody else got any scenarios you'd like a little bit of help with, or, uh, maybe a particular, uh, a particularly challenging customer interaction that you struggle with recently, you'd like to play stump Steve with, see if he can handle it. I do have one other thing to add to, uh, I believe her name was Emily, another yeah. thought. Um, something that I use a lot is the reminder for the customer that, uh, you know, we're not talking about a decision that you're going to look at for today or tomorrow. I can sell you an edge and you're going to forget that it's there. Whatever profile you select, you're not even going to pay attention to it after the first month. But what you're not going to forget is whether or not you did a full height backsplash or not. Every time you walk into the, every time you walk into the room, right, it's going to be there. So reminding them that they're going to be looking at it for the next 30 years. This isn't a tomorrow decision. It's a 30 year decision or 20 year decision. You know, that I think that kind of reminds them that what they're buying is a little bit long term of a purchase more than just a vanity option that they are considering just today. Yeah, so just, I, that's a great one. Yeah, I agree. And 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 if they're you know, if they have a specific design in mind, they're going to be looking at that design for the next however many years. So exactly. Yep. And, you know, if you do chip that edge profile in the next five years what fabricator or manufacturer is going to come out and help you repair it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, just a couple of things to think about. Sorry, I didn't mean to interject. No, that's that, great. That Thank you. Appreciate it. it. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Anybody else got a, got a stump the Steve scenario they want to try out? Carrie, Eric, Dylan, Aaron, Lauren? I do have a question Yeah, that is kind of in line with what Emily's question was as well. So 
in the same theory, every industry has options that paralyze the consumer. So the other side of what Emily might be experiencing is maybe we're offering too many things, which I see a lot of people do because there's no value that you're building into finding out what the customer needs and then providing them an, uh, a series of options that convey, here's how you fix this problem. It's, well, we can do this, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, or we could do these five things. So my question to you is, how do you, other than paying more attention to the customer and listening more intently to solve an issue and finding out what that issue is, do you find a lot of salespeople just innately fall into this paralyzing your customer with too many options scenario? And how do you <laughs> avoid that? Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's, uh, we've had some early conversations in our sort of demo group that we were doing this year because some people have great showrooms. And I love the word. Let me show you everything room. And it's very overwhelming. And so I think that um, if we're educators, we're going to get bogged down and we're going to confuse the buyer. And if we are consultants, we're hoping that maybe they're going to figure it out and tell us what they want. I think we need to be trusted advisors. I think we need to be those that can ask questions and then give advice. Here's what I would do. Here's what I'd be putting in my kitchen based on what you've been telling me. So building that trust, Andrew, I think is the key to this. If you can build a relationship with them by asking questions, getting to know them, walking in their shoes, spending a lot more time in the front end learning about them so that now you're designing your brother-in-law's kitchen or your mother's kitchen or your best friend's kitchen. It starts becoming someone that you know and you understand their world. And now let's go make a few decisions to make this thing happen. Um, and by the way, by that time, you already know like, okay, I think the budget's going to need to be around here. Let's figure out that together right now. What you're telling me so far is I'm hearing things that this could be a $12,000 purchase. Are we in the ballpark or should we talk a little bit more? And now they're telling me a budget. They're telling me all the problems that they want to solve. I'm learning about their lifestyle. Now me as the designer, I should be able to come up with I, I prefer one option, but if we need a couple choices to be made along the way, then great. But I should be able to put together the perfect solution for them because I'm the expert, not them. I think so many salespeople are trying to train everybody else to become the expert so they can make their own decision. It's kind of a passive way of selling, if you will. It's, a, it's an educator, order taker kind of way to do it. Here, check out the menu. What would you like to eat? And if you've uh, ever gone on out to dinner with your spouse, it's hard to make those decisions sometimes. So we need to narrow it down. What are you thinking? So we bring in all the restaurants in the whole entire town. We bring it down to a few options and we narrow it down and then we just cook at home. But anyway, that's a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> then we do it ourselves, right? Uh, but yes, too much education, too many things in front of them, too many distractions. And then the customer, of course, comes in and they've been doing their research nowadays, right? I mean, the internet is full of all that stuff. So they go, hey, we want to see your this, this, that, and this. And we're definitely not doing that. And so now it becomes an education game rather than a, can I, can I slow down for a second? Tell me about your home. Why are you doing this project? Tell me what's going on. And have you picked a fabricator to work with yet? Or is this your first visit? So why would you ask a customer if they've picked the fabricator they're going to work with yet? Well, as I stated in the very beginning, Ed, I feel like I want to become their 
trusted advisor, I guess now to, to wrap in all the different points there, I want to be that trusted advisor. And if they are, if they don't know their first choice is to pick a great fabricator, designer, person to work with, then they think it's about countertops right now. And it's not. It's about finding the person that they trust with their space. And so if I can get them to pick me and trust me, be on board with me, then now we go on the journey together to talk about uh, full backsplashes and all the good stuff that I'm still learning about some edges and some seams and <laughs> some, some different ways we can use the slabs, all the good information that you guys know about fabricating. That all becomes, I'm, I'm trusted now to speak it. Steve, what would you do here? How do we do this? And I go, you know, I'd rather spend money here than here. And we just go through the process together now. So if I can get them on board to pick me, then all the rest is easy. If I'm just educating them, if I'm just giving them away, uh, uh, giving away some design advice, if I'm showing them three different quote scenarios, I'm no different than the next person that they go to at the next place that's got another showroom to show them everything that they do. And then by the time they go to three or four of these, they go, okay, who do we like? Let's go work with them. And then we'll take all the knowledge we have and we'll tell them what we want because these guys are all order takers. So let's go figure out our order and go tell them what we want. I had a water system put in. We have arsenic in our water and this new property. We just uh, moved up here to Washington state. And uh, my brother-in-law and sister are in the business. And I spent two hours on the phone, Ed, hearing about dinosaur poop and how it affects the water. Like, what is going on here? There's so much information that he was telling me. And I said, what would you do? And he could, well, it's really up to you, Steve. No, you're a water expert. I'm related to you. I, you know what we, tell me what it is to do. And he couldn't, he couldn't do it. He's their salesperson for their company. And my sister, like, cheeringly tells me that they have 15 page proposals for water systems and i'm like what <laughs> it's too much data i just want you to tell me what it is and i'm literally family and he couldn't do it we had to make our own decision and he goes okay yeah that's the way you went good all right good choice i'm like oh. <laughs> but it blew me away because that was really where he was at he wanted to teach me everything there is to know about water and it's a complicated subject and there's lots of different ways to solve it and okay I really wanted someone to sell me that day and he wouldn't do it. And I feel like that's my philosophy when it goes into a, a design center of any sort. Get to know me. I'm the customer. Get to know me, what I'm trying to do, and then show me what we should do. Help solve the problem. Yeah. No, one of the things that you were talking about a good bit in our, in our classes that we had was um, kind of breaking the pattern. Uh, People tend to show up either in a B2B conversation or even a B2C conversation. They kind of have their defenses up. What are some ways you can kind of work around the, oh, I'm just looking kind of response that you get from, <laughs> from folks? That's great. Um, can you so, say, oh, I'm just selling today? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Um, well, typically, yeah, we have our everyone has those responses ed if if i if if i'm walking down the mall and someone from one of those kiosks makes eye contact with him i'm already scared i'm like no he's going to put hand cream on me or something right so I, I i get worried all of us do this even trained sales killers like myself are still afraid of other trained killers and so what we do is we all have this defense defense mechanism that kicks into place that says no thanks just looking 
So typically I like to break early patterns of just instead of, hey, can I help you find anything you like? Instead, maybe it's this is the first time in the store. Um, you're not getting your kitchen done, are you? Like, you know, like trying to throw some things out there that they're not used to hearing. So at least we break that pattern a bit. But I think the biggest pattern is really just inside of our own self as a salesperson. Stop showing them everything. Stop going so quickly to the great. Tell me about your project. What's going on? Have you got a color picked out? Have you got just relax. Hi, I'm Steve. Welcome. Do you want to look around a little bit and let me know if I can help you with anything? Sure. Great. Hey, is this your first time in here? Do you want me to guide you a little bit? What's going on at your house? Are you having somebody do the work for you? Have you are you coming out here to pick things for them to do the work? Or are you thinking about doing a project on your own? What's going on? Just have an interest, a general interest in the person that shows up, not how quickly can I show you a product, I think changes the game. Uh, from a business perspective, I always feel like the my, my bucket approach is the one that I prefer that says, hey, um, I appreciate you taking a few moments with me. Typically, I find that builders are working with fabricators and they have a, one of three different relationships with them. They're either married to them. They're never going to break up with them. This is their, their brother-in-law. They've named their kids off of each other. Like they live next door to each other. They do everything together. They don't even take counter bids or they're always looking. You never know. Might need a secondary, a third part. You know, we always are looking for good deals. We'd like to work with a great fabricator, but you know, we're always looking or third. It's your lucky day because I showed up and you're desperately seeking a fabricator. Where are you guys at? And they're not used to hearing that. They're used to hearing me drop off a business card, a brochure, and tell them how we're amazing and how fantastic we are and we should do lunch sometime and they should give us all their business. This way of asking just starts making them think like, well, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm married to somebody and we're not desperate, but you know, we're always looking. And then I'd break the pattern like this, Ed. Really? You haven't found your partner yet? How come? And now they're thinking, well, well, I mean... Tell me how it works. What's going on? And so the key is, I guess, overall, Ed, is asking questions is a break of a pattern in general. You go to a car lot and say, we're looking for a new car. And they say, great, what kind? Instead of saying, why? Why are you looking for a new car? What's wrong with the old one? What do you hate about your current kitchen? I mean, there's great ways to, I guess, I'll come up with more as we go here. But but <laughs> I feel like it's just in a mindset for our salespeople is to stop the normal pattern of, yeah, we don't have a lot of budget. We're looking around to lots of different places. We're just getting, trying to get some ideas right now. We're just, I mean, all that stuff is just a defense mechanism because they're afraid you're going to sell them stuff that they don't need for too much money. Yeah. Like in the B2B example, when you, when they say, okay, well, I guess we're kind of open. And you, then you say, well, gee, can I, really? You're, well, you haven't found out, you know, haven't de defined who your partner is yet. Hadn't found that right connection. One of the things I like to do is follow up with. Uh, so what's the one thing that your current fabricator is doing that you really wish they wouldn't do anymore? Love it. Or what's the one thing that they don't do that you really wish they would do? You know, and those those simple pattern interrupt questions and kind of kind of get back to a more common business to business, peer to peer, equal relationship type discussion, I think helps a lot. Yeah. And 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 B2B, as Andrew's saying in the chat there too, is 
is partnership. So they may not be a fit for us either. So part of it is to feel free to interview the prospect, even B2C. Let's let me interview you and find out if you're a good fit here. We're not the best for everybody. You're not? Well, we're just trying to do this with our kitchen. Okay, well, tell me a little bit more about that. We may not be a perfect fit. Yep. I've seen a, I have seen a couple of you unmute and then remute. Um, anybody got any additional questions before we start to wrap this up? If you don't, then I've got the final question for Steve, and that's uh, do you think that sales ability is something you're born with or is it something that most people can be trained to do well? Well, because I finally um, 25 years ago uh, said yes to my wife that we should have a child, and the child came out and all I could do was cry and poop and eat and coo. Uh, and now he's an amazing guitarist. I saw him practice eight hours a day. Like it's it's not something we're born with. This this idea of a, of a talent even, I'm a little bit suspect of even as I go through life. Like eh, if you were singing at the, the, you know, singing carols at Christmas time, you might be a singer today and you didn't even know you were training as a kid to do it. You were humming along to Sesame Street. You might be more creative in that way, but it wasn't. It was because you were humming along to Sesame Street. Like we have to be exposed to things. And so even in my own journey of figuring out sales, I when I started learning the psychology of the sales, the different types of personality styles, the different cadences that I can have, the the better overcoming of objection questions that I could come up with, some better openers, adjusting my tonality when needed, slowing down when I needed to slow down having a better voicemail. There's so many skills that I've now, like I, I'm still learning every day, just as I, I just found out that the edge is not something you're going to care about, but that backsplash is important. Like I just learned that today from Andrew, right? So I, I feel like if you think of sales as a lifelong learning process, you're going to be in a much better spot. And if you're looking to hire somebody, um, and I both know we're working with a customer right now that's hired a bunch of people that are selling that don't have a lot of sales experience in this industry. I'm okay with that. I don't have a lot of sales experience in this industry either. But if I learn how to sell, I can sell almost anything. I can move into different environments and be able to sell because sales is more of a people game. It's a psychology game. And then ultimately, yes, it's a technical game. I have to actually build a quote for somebody. But to think that you were born this way, I promise you, that we're, we're as humans, we're not born with much. And Ed, as you said in your article, you know, you, you didn't even know you had a name until your parents told you you had a name. Like you just, everything is taught. And even right now, as sad as it is, my uh, my um, stepmother had a uh, brain bleed over Christmas and she's relearning how to do everything right now. So even the things that were taught lose us and then she has to relearn him it's not an innate uh ability to walk even and she's having to figure that out so think about your sales career and your sales personship as a tool and we're honing it we're sharpening it we're working on a variety of different ways to use it maybe even add some other extra skills to it it's not something that's fixed and so if there's anything that frustrates you about a prospect it's probably you uh, if everything goes wrong in a sales call, it's probably your fault. If anything happened, it's really something that you can control a lot more than you think right now. I think a lot of salespeople, not only do they think salespeople are born, but they also think prospects are just, you know, that way. Oh, I had a price shopper today. I'm like, what's a price shopper? 
Well, you know, Steve, it's somebody who's just very, a price is their only issue. Really? So they, they'll wait three years to get the counter installed so they can get the lowest price? Well, no, I mean, they want to get it done soon too. So there's two issues, but they don't mind if the quality is that of a uh, laminate uh, flooring used as a countertop. Well, okay, so then they want quality. It's never price. It's not the only factor, but I think we want to make it simple. So we say salespeople are born, prospects are liars, right? Isn't that what they say? Buyers are liars. Um, Break it down. Get to know the prospect. Get to know the people we're working with. Slow down the process. Start figuring out what are the right steps that I should be taking and seek guidance. I mean, I've got dozens of books around here and coaches that I've worked with and even coworkers, like I love the fact that, you know, Andrew's got a team of people that he gets to work with that get to hear his insights. You know, it's like, just soak it up, learn from others. Sorry, Ed, I got, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> I like working with Steve. If I ever wonder uh, how I'm going to fill up the time, that's not a, not a question. So he's <laughs> always got some good stuff to share. What I want to do is, is, like I said, when we first started, I like to, to wrap these up at the top of the hour. Uh, and then we'll leave the meeting open for another 30 minutes for folks who have general questions, maybe didn't feel like speaking up in the group, uh, maybe want to do a little one-on-one. Uh, so we'll be around for another 30, 30 minutes or so. One of the things I want to leave you with is that I think it's important as business owners to understand and, and to frankly to admit that our business is running exactly the way we've designed it to run. It's not running any differently. And that includes the operation side, the sales side, and everything in between. If you're not happy with how it's running, um, you hit the website, click the link for a free custom assessment. We'll talk through it, see if we make some suggestions that may help you out. You've, you've heard Steve and I talk about the fact we spent a few months uh, working with some, some clients of mine to, to get him up to speed and also train them. We're doing that in preparation to, to launch a sales mastery class that is both one we're thinking right now, a track for salespeople and possibly an additional track for sales managers. Um, if you're interested, just keep an eye on your inbox. We'll have some stuff coming out over the next several weeks on that. Um, but uh, that's that's something we're out there working on. The next article for next month is going to be case studies in throughput. Those of you who understand throughput and operating expense as management accounting metrics and the value of them, We've got some case studies we put out there that are, are from real fabricators, real scenarios. So we'll talk about that uh, next month. But uh, as we wrap up here at the top of the hour, I want to thank you for taking time out of your Friday. Hope this has been helpful for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.